This message comes from NPR sponsor Capital One. With the Capital One Walmart Rewards Card, you can earn 5% back at Walmart online, 2% at Walmart in-store, restaurants and travel, and 1% everywhere else. When you want all that, you need the Capital One Walmart Rewards Card. What's in your wallet? Terms and exclusions apply. Capital One N.A. From NPR and Futuro Media, it's Latino USA. I'm Maria Hinojosa. Today, a look at the data behind the Latino vote. The Latino electorate has long been considered a sleeping giant in U.S. politics. This year, that giant is bigger than ever. About 32 million Latinos and Latinas will be eligible to vote in 2020, making us the second largest voting bloc in the country. And judging from the results in the first states that voted, that giant is very much awake. I call him Theo Bernie. And making its presence felt. And you cannot win a Democratic nomination without having the support of Browns and Blacks. And uh, I feel very good about both. That's former Vice President Joe Biden speaking with journalist Jorge Ramos. Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders has prioritized organizing in Latino and Latina communities. And that investment turned him into an early frontrunner once the voting got underway. In Nevada, we have just put together a multi-generational, multi-racial coalition, which is going to not only win in Nevada, it's going to sweep this country. Latinos were critical to his victories in Nevada and California, and even in places like Iowa that are pretty white, even though the Latino population there is growing quickly. Going into Super Tuesday, the large field of Democratic primary candidates suddenly shrunk to just Senator Sanders and former Vice President Joe Biden. And we're told, well, when you got to Super Tuesday, it'd be over. Well, it may be over for the other guy. Biden's campaign has relied largely on votes from African-Americans, especially in the South, and overwhelming support for the former vice president in states like South Carolina gave him a boost. Biden's performance among Latinas and Latinos has been weaker. His campaign has been scrambling to expand outreach in these communities coming out of Super Tuesday. On the so-called Big Tuesday, or Super Tuesday 2 primaries, Biden had another good day with victories in Michigan, Mississippi, Missouri, and Idaho, where he now has expanded his delegate lead. It's a comeback for the soul of this nation. This campaign is taking off, and I believe we're going to do well from this point on. As the race narrows down, Sanders' path to the nomination seems increasingly challenged, in spite of his emerging coalition of young voters and Latinx communities. While our campaign has won the ideological debate, we are losing the debate over electability. On this episode, I'm joined by Sonia Diaz. She's the founding executive director of the UCLA Latino Policy and Politics Initiative. I'm also joined by my colleague, Julio Ricardo Varela. He's the co-host of In the Thick Podcast with me and our resident wonk on all things related to Latinos and politics. Julio and Sonia are going to dive deep into the data to help us understand the state of the Latinx electorate in what has been a whirlwind race so far. 
And just a heads up, we recorded the first part of this conversation just after Super Tuesday. So, Sonia, you and your colleagues at UCLA's Latino Policy and Politics Initiative, you guys have been crunching the numbers on the Latino-Latina vote after every primary, and you've been documenting this on your Twitter feed, because you guys are like serious political nerds. So there's this picture of you guys with your laptops, you have your (laughs) dog with you. What has been standing out for you so far? Yeah, thanks so much for having me. We are crunching away. The key takeaways is voters of color have really solidified the Democratic contest. What the polls and our data at UCLA have been consistent about is that both Black voters and Latino voters have two candidates that are their candidates of choice, and that's VP Biden and Senator Sanders. And we're looking at the narrowing of the contests where voters of color have chosen. Julio, what about you? When you're crunching the numbers, what's your big takeaway? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things, when you look at the the voting in California and Texas, you know, in the California border, which is San Diego County and Imperial County, Sanders won that. He won that vote. And in Texas, I counted like 16 border communities. Sanders won 14 of those. And I thought that was really fascinating because in the 2016 cycle with Hillary Clinton, You know, she ran away with California in a lot of ways and also with Texas. So this whole notion of the Sanders campaign reaching out to Latino voters in places where they lost and realizing that, you know what, a lot of young Latinos were kind of into our campaign in 2016. So let's invest. Let's go out and outreach. So, so Sonia, when you look writ large in terms of kind of the power of the Latinx vote and the way that it has been growing slowly but surely over the past years. And now, in 2020, Latinx voters are expected to be the largest group of POC voters in this election. What would you say has been the influence of the Latino vote in determining the winners in the states that have voted so far? Yeah, you know, when I think about 2020, I can't help but think about 2016 and then 2018. 2016, because of lessons learned by different major party political candidates and how they sought to get the Latino electorate going into 2020. And in particular, Bernie Sanders did an about face in terms of his Latino operation, which he and his surrogates have said is core and fundamental to his entire campaign these days. That said, you know, the Latino electorate was consequential in the 2018 midterm elections. At UCLA, we looked at the 40 seats that were flippable from Republican control to Democratic control in the House of Representatives. And we saw that in half of those seats, there were large numbers of Latino registered voters and Latinos were consequential to flipping the House in 18. And recognizing that infusion of resources to the Southwest and to Latino communities and Latino voters was very late. Public opinion polling had shown throughout the 18 contests that Latinos were not getting door knocks. They hadn't been outreached. They weren't getting calls. And campaigns were doing what they typically do, and not just campaigns, but major political parties, and that's ignoring the Latino electorate. And going into 2020, some people saw the writing on the wall and wanted to believe in data and science and alter their campaign trajectory and strategy. Instead of just going to likely voters, they said, let's think about expanding the electorate. And I think that's what this campaign and this race for the White House and down ballot is really about. 
are you going to expand the electorate given the wide numbers of Latinos and Asian Americans who are aging into the voting booth and think through how you can properly get them the information and ask them for their vote so that they turn out? So, Julio, would you say that if you stand back and you look at what Sanders has done with Latino and Latina voters, that that's what his strategy has been, has been to Mm -hmm. really understand the way in which Latino and Latina voters potentially could come out? Yes, I think that's part of it, Mariana. And I think we can say that Sanders is probably the only Democratic candidate in this cycle who has actually put the money into this and and has said, like, this is a strategy. So um, there's a part of me that says, what if other Democratic candidates had done this? Would we be having a different conversation, right? Number two, Maria, I just want to call attention to a Pew study that came late December that talked about Latinos and how they feel about certain issues. And 82% of Latino Democratic voters, they believe that the government, they should take a more active role in solving problems, right? So you have 88% of them support the minimum wage being raised to $15 per hour. And 84% of them believe that the government is responsible for providing health care to all Americans. Those three policy positions are part of the platform of Bernie Sanders. All right. So clearly it appears that Latino voters have been a driving force for Bernie Sanders in these primaries. But ultimately... It is Vice President Joe Biden who has more states and more delegates now. So at this point, has there been a Biden campaign approach specifically targeted to the Latino community? Do you think that because of his success that Latino and Latina voters might also jump on the Biden bandwagon or will there be too much baggage and hard feelings? So I think, you know, when you look at the Biden strategy, overall right now. It's kind of the Obama coalition, but it's not really the Obama coalition. It's black voters, suburban white voters. I think, you know, college educated, a a little bit of white working class. So, we, you know, but what's really missing is, you know, the largest ethnic electric in in, in this cycle, which are Latinos. And I think that's going to raise some issues because in talking to so many people, Maria, you and I, you know, we're out on the road a lot. We're talking to a lot of people. There is this feeling of quasi-betrayal that the Obama-Biden administration did not deliver on immigration reform, continued to push immigration enforcement. And I think when Biden finally had that interview with Jorge Ramos a week before the Nevada caucus and called the entire you know, Obama deportation legacy a big mistake. And I went to Nevada and everyone saw through that. In talking to voters who were still having sort of this uneasiness with him. And it's not just immigration, it's housing. Uh, The fact that during the Great Recession, Latinos lost a lot of wealth and they didn't get home relief. Also healthcare, Latinos are still the most uninsured group (laughs) in healthcare, even with Obamacare. So this whole like Obama legacy, I do think it's much more critical with Latino voters and they're not ready to like stand behind Joe Biden. You know, you've talked to voters, I've talked to voters, There's people who are like, if Biden is the nominee, I'm not going to vote in November. And that to me is just, that's a problem. So, Sonia, what do you think that Biden needs to do at this point in terms of locking in Latinos and Latinas? Yeah, I think that the Latino electorate is sophisticated. So we need to be engaged. He needs to start throwing money. Money needs to go into key states, Arizona, Georgia, Florida, 
Now, in terms of tactics, I think that the Sanders campaign has given a framework for how any political party, issue-based campaign, or personal campaign can meaningfully engage voters of color, including and especially Latinos. It's invest early, meaning throw resources in field operations. Make sure you're hiring locally, including people from community-based organizations or political interest groups that are in the local community. And then think through what kinds of signs you want to send to that state or to that electorate. In Iowa, which is 90% white and should not be the first in the nation primary, the Sanders campaign's first mailer was targeted to the Latino electorate. In California, I'm just astonished that Senator Sanders was in the Coachella Valley. We don't even have governors in the Coachella Valley. And what he's saying is that poor people matter and Latino voters matter. And these are communities that are like Flint, Michigan, that don't have potable water. And so for Latino voters, it's a matter of engagement, but it's also issues. What are you doing for them? So after Super Tuesday, which really was a defining day in this primary season, if you looked at a map of where each of the candidates won, you basically see this strong support for Biden all in the American South, basically up to Texas. Then west of Texas, it was Sanders who was pretty dominant. And Julio, you've commented a lot about this, that it looks like the country is kind of divided in half and Texas is that middle point. So what do you make of this split with Biden getting support from African-Americans in the South and Latino voters in the Southwest supporting Sanders? You know, it's a great question, Maria. I've been thinking about this a lot. Pretty much to a T, all the Latinos in the Western and Southwestern states, maybe a third of them lean Democratic, and then a third of them lean independent. So I do think there is this independent critical attitude that is out in the West and the Southwest that has said, you know, Democrats don't take me for granted. But on the eastern part of Texas, and particularly the South, right, the traditional Democratic South, you kind of have to realize that the Democratic Party has invested millions. And there's a history. You know, the black Democratic voter has a legacy in the Democratic Party. Whereas I think in the West and the Southwest, that's just starting to happen. And I do agree with Sonia. Like, whatever happens with Bernie Sanders, he has changed how political parties and candidates can approach Latinos for the rest of American history. He's given anyone who really wants to reach this growing vote, and the vote is growing in the West and the Southwest, sort of a winning formula. So I see it as a division, Maria, right now, but two or three cycles from now, this could be how we see political campaigns operate when it comes to Latino voters. Sonia, you have a different take on this, you know, what some people are seeing of uh, an electoral division. So what's your interpretation of the fact that African-American voters seem to prefer Biden while Latinx voters seem to prefer Sanders? I think that there's an age difference. And we think about population demographics. Latinos, like Asian-Americans, are a young population group. They're younger than Black Americans. And we see Bernie winning in the polls and public opinion, and then also at the ballot box with Democratic voters under the age of 40, irrespective of race, ethnicity. So I think that there is an age difference. That said, I do think that there are some parallels between Black Democrats and Latino Democrats insofar as these two groups have decided who is in the Democratic contest. 
Black and Latino voters have been consistent, and they consistently use their vote for Biden or for Sanders, and that's who's in the race right now. Coming up on Latino USA, we talk about the role of the Latinx vote in states you might not think of. Hello, Georgia. And we bring you an update on what went down with Latino voters in places like Michigan and Washington state and what this means for Sanders going forward. Stay with us. No te vayas. This message comes from NPR sponsor BetterHelp, a truly affordable online counseling service. Fill out a questionnaire online and get matched with a licensed counselor best suited to your mental health needs. Whether it's depression, anxiety, or trauma, BetterHelp will help you overcome what stands in the way of your happiness. Learn more at BetterHelp.com and get 10% off your first month with promo code LATINO. BetterHelp. Get help. Anytime. Anywhere. On a secret military recording, a sound so haunting, one scientist believed it could change the world. My mind was racing as I listened to this, and I thought, this, this is the way. Join NPR's Invisibilia for the first episode of our new season. We're back. Before the break, we were speaking with Sonia Diaz and Julio Ricardo Varela about the state of the Latino vote in the 2020 primary elections. Let's jump back to that conversation. So a lot of the time, Sonia, when people think about, you know, the power of the Latinx vote, they think about places like California, Texas, Florida that have these pretty huge Latino populations. But we know that the Latino vote was significant for Sanders in Iowa, even though that's a, considered to be a very white state. Let's talk about states like Georgia or Washington state or other places where you believe the Latino vote could have a big influence that people might not be looking at. Yeah, you know, my face is lighting up and I think it's so wild because we really, truly Latinos and Asian Americans um, to a lesser extent are everywhere. Where there are jobs, there are us. And that's true of Georgia. In 2016, when I was driving across the country from California to Virginia for the campaign, I remember one of the nice things on the radio was this young woman who was running for the House, the state house in Georgia. And she ultimately was the first Latina Mexicana elected. And now she's running right now in the cycle for Congress. So there's an emerging Latino and Asian American population in Georgia. And they're going to be critical to thinking through how that state addresses substantive issues, whether it's a women's right to choose or it's thinking through admission and in-state tuition for immigrant students. So what's at stake is really democracy. And even getting out to the ballot box and electing substantive candidates, there's still threats that we need to think through. So I think whatever presidential campaign on the Democratic ticket is successful, they're going to really have to fight like hell for down ballot. So, Sonia, we've been talking about the primaries that have already passed, but I want to talk about what's going to be coming up 
in the future. The Arizona primary is coming up on March 17th. Arizona is a state that used to be solidly red. This time, you know, it's been 10 years since the anniversary of the SB 1070 Show Me Your Papers laws. And since then, Latino voter registration and turnout has grown significantly. So what are you looking at in terms of the future with what's coming up in terms of the Arizona primary? Yeah, I believe that Arizona is the marquee battleground state for the 2020 election. And I've been spending a lot of time in Arizona. And you see now the legislature is very close for the first time in 30 years, having either the state house or the state Senate controlled by the Democratic Party. In the 2018 election, because of the veracity of the Latino vote, there was a U.S. senator that was sent to D.C. from the state of Arizona. So Arizona is not only critical to the 2020 election in terms of the president, but it has the possibility to narrow the gap in the U.S. Senate. And that all centers on Latinos being engaged, outreached to, and supported in casting a meaningful ballot. So no more voter suppression and making it really difficult to vote in Arizona. All right, Julio, March 17th is also the day of the primary in the very important state of Florida. Now, Latinos in Florida tend to be a little bit different, although increasingly more diverse. So there are more than just Cubans. There are Venezuelans there, many of them who are wary of kind of socialism, even democratic socialism. There's also a large Puerto Rican population. And I'm just wondering, what are your takeaways now in terms of Latino and Latina voters in Florida? It's looking like it's leaning heavily towards Biden at this point. Yeah, correct, Maria. And uh, obviously that breaks down, you know, as it gets more Cuban, it gets more Biden. Uh, But the one thing I will say um, is the Puerto Rican vote is still up in the air. But it looks right now that Biden does have more support in Florida with Latinos that he's had anywhere else in any other state. Latino voters have been called the sleeping giant, you know, for years. I would say that it looks like the sleeping giant has definitely awoken and that you are hearing a lot more about Latino voter turnout and their impact in terms of the primaries. But because the Latino vote has really been so progressive in terms of Bernie Sanders, it feels like the Democratic Party that feels safer with a Biden ticket is almost saying to Latino voters, We heard you. We're glad you're awake. And now we really want to give you some NyQuil. Can you go back to sleep? Are you concerned about this notion of Latino voters kind of feeling like, well, we said what what we believed, but you didn't want to hear us. You want us to vote for the more moderate candidate, Joe Biden. This notion of, you know, 32 million eligible Latino voters all taking NyQuil will forever be etched in my brain. But two things about it, you know, in our reporting, we've asked, you know, Latinos from all over the country, what do you want to do? Are you going to vote? Yes, I'm going to vote in the primary. What if your candidate doesn't win? I don't know if I want to vote. And that's a problem that I think the Democratic Party has to come to terms with, because if the Democratic Party has not learned from 2016 that all you're doing is Trump is a bad president for immigrants and Latinos, that didn't work. The reality is the Trump campaign this time around has formally created a Latinos for Trump committee that is part of their campaign. And you have evangelicals, you have heads of megachurches, you have entrepreneurs, businessmen, 
gun rights advocates, pro-life advocates all over the country. Like they, the Trump campaign is putting money into the outreach. And this is going to sound really controversial and I'm sure I'm going to be misquoted, but I'm going to say it anyway. The Trump campaign is doing a better job in getting Latino Republican outreach than the Democratic Party as a party is doing in getting Latino voters to stay awake. That to me is the writing on the wall for the Democratic Party to get serious because all these new young voters who are being engaged, they might not be around in November if they're being taken for granted. What's your take, Sonia, in terms of Latino, Latina voters and their sense about the Democratic Party and its responsiveness to them as voters? Yeah, I mean, frankly, I think that the Democratic Party has failed voters of color. This isn't a failure on the part of engaging Latinos. It's also a failure of engaging black voters. And this is both because of who they select as their candidates. We're not seeing candidates of color supported by the Democratic National Committee in a way that we need to for the future saliency of our democracy, but also to engage and excite an electorate that is fast growing and becoming the nation's new majority. So there's a strategic opportunity that has continued to be missed. And quite frankly, way too much is at stake. We've seen the horrors of the last three and a half years, and we cannot afford to continue to move a country, if not the world, in this direction. Sonia, thank you so much for speaking with us on Latino USA. Thank you so much. This was great. Thank you, Julio. Thank you, Maria. So that was the state of the race when I sat down to talk to Julio and Sonia just after Super Tuesday. But as it has often turned out in this campaign cycle, things changed pretty quickly. It looks like we're going to have another good night. With big wins in four out of six states, Biden has become the clear frontrunner. Last night, obviously, was not a good night for our campaign from a delegate point of view. And so the viability of Sanders' campaign has come into question. So to get the latest analysis, I jump back into the studio with Julio Ricardo Varela to make sense of the latest news coming out of the campaign trail. Julio, the last time we spoke, uh, we were talking about how Bernie Sanders has really made a strategic decision to connect with Latino and Latina voters in many parts of the country. Now Biden is surging. So I've got to ask you, what does this mean for Latinos and Latinas across the generations that have really come out in support for Bernie Sanders? Yeah, there's a couple of things, Maria. One, um, it's safe to say that Joe Biden is the presumptive nominee. And he didn't really need Latinos to become the presumptive nominee. At the same time, the pattern looking at what happened in March 10th, I want to share two examples that actually continue the pattern that we talked about after Super Tuesday. One, Washington State. There's four districts in Washington State that are heavily Latino. And actually, Sonia's UCLA Latino uh, analysis that just came out on Wednesday basically confirms that Bernie Sanders, again, did very well with Latinos in Washington state. So I just want to provide two examples. 
Franklin County, which uh, is is on the east side of Pasco, Washington, which is over 80% Latino. According to UCLA Latino, uh, Sanders won anywhere from 44 to 58% of the vote across all those precincts. So that also happened in, in three other districts in Washington. So again, we're seeing these pockets, Maria. And also even in Michigan, when you look at exit polls out of Michigan, Sanders got over 50% of exit polls with Latinos in Michigan, even though Michigan represents like 6% of the electorate. He did pretty well. So again, we're seeing it in pockets. So let's talk about this notion of Latino or Latina voters as kind of being this sleeping giant. Clearly, um, they have awoken. They uh, could potentially swing a race like this one. But in fact, like that's not turning out to be the case. It appears much more like the party in and of itself is saying, you know, we want to go in a different direction. So what is the message from the establishment to these voters and how, how are they taking this notion of, you know, support Biden or basically take some NyQuil and go back to sleep? Yeah, it's a great question, Maria. And I know we've addressed this before. Just, just two things I want to bring up about this. One, Arizona is also happening on March 17th. And a poll by Telemundo that came out on Wednesday, right after the March 10th primary, has Bernie Sanders leading 47% to 40% with Latino voters in Arizona. So whatever happens in Arizona, there are indications that Sanders is still going to repeat that Latino support. But what does that mean for a general election, right? So let's say, you know, Biden becomes the nominee. There's all these Latinos in the West and the Southwest that are like, we're digging Bernie Sanders. They're not that into Biden. It seems to me like what we've been saying that Biden needs to make a very concerted effort at some point whether it's now or later in the general election, to be like, I need you guys. I need younger Latino voters to be part of this coalition. They're going to have to figure it out. I don't think they are thinking about it right now, to be honest with you, because they're winning so many states. And I think they're focused on winning the nomination. But to think that the Democratic Party is not going to to uh, reach out to young Latino voters and Latino voters in general in a general election seems a little bit illogical to me. And I just fear like this, we're looking at 2016 again, if this is not something that gets addressed. Julio, thank you so much for, for joining us. Thank you, Maria. This episode was produced by Alisa Escarce and edited by Luis Treyes. The Latino USA team includes Miguel Macias, Sofia Palizaca, Antonia Cerejido, Janice Yamoka, and Alejandra Salazar, with help from Joanne DeLuna. Our engineers are Stephanie LeBeau and Julia Caruso. Additional engineering this week by Leah Shaw and Jim Blackwood. Our production manager is Natalia Fidelholz. Our digital editor is Amanda Alcantara. Our interns are Julia Inés Esparza and Julia Rocha. Our theme music was composed by Zenia Rubinos. If you like the music you heard on this episode, stop by latinousa.org and check out our weekly Spotify playlist. I'm your host and executive producer, Maria Hinojosa. Join us again next time. And in the meantime, look for us on all of your social media. Hasta la próxima. Ciao. Latino USA is made possible in part by... 
the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation. The Annie E. Casey Foundation creates a brighter future for the nation's children by strengthening families, building greater economic opportunity, and transforming communities. And the Heising Simons Foundation, unlocking knowledge, opportunity, and possibilities. More at hsfoundation.org. I'm Maria Hinojosa. Next time on Latino USA, Mother Jones reporter Fernanda Chavarri takes us to Santa Fe, New Mexico, where we meet newly arrived refugee families trying to start a life from scratch. She feels good when she can see her. Tomorrow she won't be there to catch her if she falls, and she's starting to get a little nervous about tomorrow. That's next time on Latino USA. 